0: The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome back. I'm Justin Briley, Theology and Apologetics Editor for Premier Unbelievable, currently bringing you a season of shows looking at Lewis's shorter works with Alistair McGrath. And this week is The Grand Miracle. Originally preached as a sermon in 1945, this essay by Lewis uses the imagery of a diver to explain the significance of the Incarnation as God stepping into creation to ultimately redeem it by the way thanks to Dion who left us this review really interesting podcasts you not only get a great overview of who C.S. Lewis was but moreover it makes you think about God and the different narratives in life how am I going to tell the story of God Uh, well if you can leave us a rating a review like Dion did please do so. It helps others to discover us. And if you like this show, you might enjoy our other podcast too. Matters of Life and Death is one of the newest, a brilliant weekly show with bioethicist John Wyatt and his journalist son Tim. Do go and check that out at premierunbelievable.com where you can also register for updates, bonus content and to support us too. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we're currently in the midst of a series of episodes in this season in which we're looking at some of Lewis's shorter writings. Today, we're going to be looking at an essay he wrote called "The Grand Miracle" in 1945. Alistair joins us again as we look at this. Um, as I've said before, these um, ideas and essays seem to pop up in various places. I was, as I as I read it in God in the Dock, in preparation for this, I thought. I'm sure I've read this somewhere else. And, and lo and behold, yes, it's it's in book, it's in miracles as well, another book by by Lewis. So so you can find this in, in various places. But tell us where this had its first life, this this essay called The Grand Miracle, Alistair.
1: Well, this, this essay began life as a sermon. It was, it's really interesting. Um There's a church in London called St. Jude on the Hill. And um, during the Second World War in 1945, they thought they would invite some very prominent lay Christians to, in effect, preach sermons on topics they thought were important. And so they had Sir Stafford Cripps, who was a well-known government minister, but they also asked C.S. Lewis. And Lewis went down and preached this sermon. And actually, I have to say that um, it it reads very, very well. I think they, they must have liked it enormously. And, of course, the church now will prominently display this book of their preachers, and there is C.S. Lewis, and they have a, mm. <laughs> it's there for you to see. But I think it's a very important um, uh, essay, because it takes the form of a sermon and shows that Lewis realized you could preach this stuff, actually it would
0: connect up with real-life questions uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Just just out of interest, how how frequently did Lewis sort of accept invitations to preach, as far as you're aware? Was it something he was was in the habit of doing frequently? Not that often. He preached two
1: university sermons and this sermon. Um, Otherwise, he would give talks. I think Lewis saw himself as a speaker, not a preacher. So, um, one of the questions that very often I have to ask is that when you look at Lewis's sermons, this one, or indeed um, others that we're going to look at, for example, The Weight of Glory, Um, They don't come across as sermons. They come across Mm. rather as well-written pieces. But anyway, I mean, Lewis clearly thought there was something in this piece that would really
0: speak very deeply to a congregation. And personally, I think he's right. I mean, in, in an age before these things were recorded, you know, um, who who actually collected the material? Was it Walter Hooper um, later on, who sort of was able to bring together these these writings of Lewis?
1: Well, Lewis obviously kept um, all his um, uh, speaking engagements and Walter Hooper very generously brought them all together. I mean, there are stories told about, um, you know, a, a lot of this stuff being thrown out by um, Lewis's brother Warney after Lewis's death and, and <laughs> somehow Walter Hooper, managed to save them from the bonfire <laughs> that wow. sort of thing <laughs> but happily they are there and
0: we can enjoy them and learn from them absolutely so so uh, as you say this was originally preached at St Jude on the Hill church april 1945 quite near the the final phase of world war ii um and uh, and pa- perhaps you know he was drawing on that, that 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 inspired it partly interestingly though given it was a sermon preached shortly after Easter it's much more of an incarnational Christmas sort of suited sort of sermon because it it all deals doesn't it with with the incarnation that is what the grand miracle is a a, a Christian might assume just reading the title that it might be a a piece on the resurrection but it was it was the incarnation really that Lewis viewed as the greatest miracle of all. Well that's right and indeed um, when I first read this sermon without knowing
1: when it had been given, I assumed it was a Christmas sermon because it it Mm -hmm. worked so well. Then I realized, actually, it was just slightly after Easter. So, But you're right. I mean, for Lewis, it's the incarnation, which is critically important. Everything else radiates out from that. That's why I'm so fond of um, Athanasius of Alexandra's a very famous uh, book the, on the incarnation, because for Lewis, that, that really summarized what matters about Christianity. But it is about the incarnation, and it's a very, very thoughtful and reflective explanation and imaginative
0: representation of what the incarnation is all about. Um, Here's a quote from it. The Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, what is uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe and rose again, bringing nature up with him. Now, this is quite important for Lewis. It's not just about, as it were, God becoming human, but something about the redemption of nature itself in that process. So so tell us a little bit about that, Alistair. Well, this this quote you've just read to us is a wonderful summary of the the
1: opening of John's gospel. And what Lewis is saying is, you know, that we, we think about the incarnation, God enters into human history, and that is wonderful. It's very, very exciting. It is the grand miracle of Christianity, but Lewis is saying very, very clearly, it's not enough to say God entered into human history we have to remember also he entered into human history to bring us to where he is. In other words, God's not saying, look, uh, you guys be good and you can come to heaven. No, it's I'm going to come from heaven to find you and bring you home. That's what the gospel's all about. It's not about us having to uh, achieve our way to God it's about God graciously entering into our history and bringing us to where he is so it's a a wonderful affirmation of divine
0: grace if you like hmm um th- let us talk about one of the central images that lewis uses in this and he was always a master of, of using an analogy or a metaphor wasn't he um but the central image of the sermon is is of a diver um and i'll i'll give um uh, i I'll, I'll give a a specific quote from this because I think he he writes this so very well and and then you can tell us maybe about where where this particular analogy came from in Lewis's own experience. He says uh, at one point, or else one has the picture of a diver stripping off garment after garment, making himself naked then flashing for a moment in the air and then down through the green and warm and sunlit water into the pitch black cold freezing water, down into the mud and slime, then up again, his lungs almost bursting back again to the green and warm and sunlit water, and then at last out into the sunshine, holding in his hand the dripping thing he went down to get. This thing is human nature, but associated with it, all nature, the new universe. Um, So firstly, you know, it's, it's a memorable example that, Lewis is using there of this diver but it comes actually I think from his own personal life he, he was at one time he had got into the, the the sort of that 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 whole thing of diving hadn't he
1: yes in the early 1930s Lewis learned how to dive and um It was exhilarating for him, I have to say, that in effect, um, you know, going down deep and then coming back up. And, you know, it was a personal experience for him, but he realized it had a deeper significance. And if you like, in the sermon, he's working out how that analogy, in effect, conveys theological truths and Lewis is very very good at this very often you'll find an analogy which actually you could you can if you like pin on lots of theological points so the analogy in effect brings them all together in a single narrative and I think in this case this works really really well because it brings out so many things about the incarnation you know it is about God entering into a dark dangerous world in order to Grasp something that's really important and, and justifies the effort, and then going back up and actually bringing this to safety. And of course, what is it that he's bringing back up? Well, it's us. God did all of that for us. So it conveys the, the risk, the endeavor of the incarnation and its outcome. It's not just God entering into history. It's about God entering into where
0: we are in order to bring us to where he is it's a, it's a wonderful analogy yes and, and in that sense obviously it encompasses the other re- the other great miracle of christianity the resurrection because in a sense the resurrection is if you like the the flip side of mm. of the incarnation it is that that bringing of everything into this this new redeemed restored reality lewis obviously feels that that, that that while we've had the incarnation, that, that future reality is still something we, we hope for and we long for and we pray for in that sense. Very much so. And actually in his writings,
1: Lewis tries to talk about that, but he very often does so in a rather indirect rather um, imaginative way like if you think of the, you the ending of the chronicles of narnia i mean clearly he's saying there's there's more to come but he's slightly vague about it, but vague in a very very nice way i have to mm. say it, it's, it's a, a lovely ending but lewis is really saying look um focus on this but there's more to say than this this, this is really important it's the grand miracle but actually there's a lot more as well but focus
0: on this for the time being this is where he says um and and this is again a sort of theme he's come up with um during this uh is is that this is the sort of the thing that makes sense of the whole story if you like this grand miracle he says this is why i think this grand miracle is the missing chapter in this novel the chapter on which the whole plot turns that is why i believe that god really has dived down into the bottom of creation and has come up bringing the whole redeemed nature on his shoulders the miracles that we have already, that have already happened are, of course, as scripture so often says, the first fruits of that cosmic summer, which is presently coming on. Christ has risen, and so we shall rise. St. Peter for a few seconds walked on the water, and the day will come when there will be a remade universe, infinitely obedient to the will of glorified and obedient men, when we can do all things, when we shall be those gods that we are described as being in scripture." Um, and then he goes on to say, but you know, we're obviously not there now. But it's something we so so in a sense, he anticipates that, that 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 what Christ has begun in in going down and then coming up in the resurrection is something that we will all experience in in some new way. But as you say, it's all picture language at this point. What exactly that will look like is is sort of only fed to us in in in, in images at this point.
1: Well, that's right. and Actually, I I think he's picking up on a theme from GK Chesterton here. Mm. Chesterton once said, um, by believing one seemingly impossible thing, everything else makes sense. And so when Lewis talks about the grand miracle, I sometimes think to myself, that's Chesterton. You know, if if you believe this, everything makes sense. It is the, the central theme, get this right, and everything else clicks into place.
0: Yes. Uh, I mean, another analogy he uses of it near the beginning of the essay is that he says, supposing you had before you a manuscript of some great work, either a symphony or a novel, then one comes to you, a person saying, here is a new bit of the manuscript that I found, or the central passage of that symphony or the central chapter of that novel. The text is incomplete without it. And the only way you can judge whether that's true is, is by putting it in its place. And if it suddenly makes sense of the whole story, if it's suddenly everything, you know, it's bringing out, hmm. uh, th- then you say, yes, well, this must have been the missing chapter. This must have been the missing part of the symphony. And, and I think that's that's the way Lewis sees it. Again, it's coming back to this motif we talked about in the last show about the true myth, the myth become hmm. fact and so on. But that if all of those other stories are sort of there, suddenly this story... Kind of takes that and says, Ah, this makes sense of all those other stories. That is that the kind of sense I'm getting here with, with what Lewis is talking about.
1: I think it is. I mean, obviously, Lewis has a particular congregation in mind, but you can't help but make those connections. I think Lewis wants you to because um, this is Lewis has set out a story and and If this story is right, it makes sense of so many other things. One of them is why we tell stories like this. The other is alternative stories, which in effect seem incomplete or inadequate. But this one brings them to fulfillment and says this is what they're
0: really pointing to. And this is how they find their fulfillment. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's interesting to me as well that in in the course of telling this, um, he talks about his own childhood. He references that and says, you know, when you know, when I was reading, the ancient myths and the gods and you know the corn kings as he calls mm. them you know the, the, then you turn to this the scriptures and, and suddenly well of course jesus is another corn king jesus is you know this dying rising god and so on but then he, he kind of says he was almost frustrated by the fact that the new testament don't recognize that that's what it is it's almost as though you know jesus himself when he sort of takes bread and wine and so on doesn't recognize it and it actually comes out of a tradition the jewish tradition which would have had no connection really with those pagan traditions and so on. And yet this is where the story makes sense. This is So So it's interesting that Lewis sort of feels almost like there's this sense that it had to happen this way. It had to happen from this, this unique particular people with their own story suddenly makes sense of all these other stories in, in that way.
1: One of the points Lewis is bringing out, I think, is that although... We don't really find this in the gospel narratives. It's there in the New Testament as a whole, particularly the letters. Mm. And actually, once you begin to follow these through, you begin to realize there's real imaginative and intellectual depth here. And that's one of the things Lewis is responding to here and, and trying to get his his audience to see as well. So I find it a very, very moving and powerful
0: sermon. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting and, and helpful to be able to, I'm glad that if it was uh, if it was Hooper, we have to to thank for rescuing it from the bonfire mm. before Warnie chucked it out. Then then he's done us a service because it's it's great it's a great uh, chapter to have and uh, an essay to be able to reflect on. Um, all of these you know really do fit together in so many ways. The last three that we've done here: Alistair, uh, Dogma and the Universe, um, Myth Became Fact, and now this one, the Grand Miracle. Perhaps that's why they were they were put together in this volume that I've been reading them in um, of God in the Dock but um, uh, yeah it's 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 been really interesting tracing some of Lewis's thought in this particular sermon. We will be looking at another sermon in a future edition of the show when we get to the weight of glory which I think is is in some ways one of his most significant um, pieces of short form yeah, yeah. writing uh, so we look forward to that but still to come uh, we're going to be talking about is theism important? Is Theology Poetry? First and Second Things, and one that's been shared quite widely in my social media in recent months um, on living in an atomic age. Those are all future shows you can look forward to as we continue these discussions with Alistair. But for now, thank you very much for being with me today. It's been great fun. Thank You. you. Hey, thanks for being with us and uh, do come back next week. Links to premierunbelievable.com where you can find out more about the show are with the info of today's podcast. Registering at our website gets you access to bonus content, a free ebook and lots more besides. There's also links there to our next Big Conversation live event with Michaela Peterson and John McCrae, happening on Tuesday, the 12th of July. You can join online for free from anywhere in the world to be part of the audience for that. Unbelievable.live is the link that's with today's show as well see you next time